Well, hello there, and welcome to episode 9 of the Musical Connections podcast. I'm your host, Zach Snow, and we have another great episode lined up for you this week. We're going to be talking to musician, multi-instrumentalist, and music teacher, Rowan Sherlock. We go over his entire career so far, from growing up in County Waterford, making the move to Newfoundland in 2017, becoming a permanent resident of Canada, as well as the various groups he has been involved with, such as Faraway Light, Rugged Shores, Midnight Watch, and a whole lot more. And we'll also talk about his endeavor to improve the safety and environment of downtown St. John's. We're going to get to that right after this week's newfound releases, and we are going to start with Portuguese-born but St. John's-based Nico Paolo. She is set to release her debut album April 7th, 2023, and uh, that'll be on Bandcamp, and in the physical copies will come out April the 1st. Right now, here is her brand new song that she has worked on with Tim Baker, her partner, and Joshua Van Tassel, the producer who worked on the Fortunate Ones album That Was You and Me back in 2022. Right now, here's the second single from her upcoming debut. This is time on Newfound Releases as part of the Musical Connections podcast. to children's swing group, The Swinging Bells. Now, The Swinging Bells are working on a brand new project set to come out in 2023. Now, uh, they're working on a brand new project set to come out this year. And uh, right now, we're going to get to a brand new song that's going to be part of their Welcome to the Flea Circus project, I Must Go Dancing. And here are The Swinging Bells with that tune right now on Newfound Releases as part of the Musical 
Connections podcast. I must go dancing. I must go dancing. I must go dancing. So dancing I will go. Let's get those fingers snapping. Let's get those fingers snapping. And at those toes tapping. Put on your dancing shoes. must go dancing and those are all the newfound releases i have for you this week but um it, here's a little bonus segment for this uh part of the podcast as uh we can't go without uh, acknowledging the passing of newfoundland and labrador folk music icon baxter wareham he passed away at the age of 78 saturday january the 14th he was one third of the group that put out that influential newfoundland and labrador folk album towards the sunset in 1983 Born and raised Harper Buffett, he provided Newfoundland and Labrador with some of the best folk songs in the folk music canon, with songs like Rubber Boots, originally written by Fred Northcott, but made famous by Baxter, the Evett Langer Special, as well as songs from the Buffett double album, such as Mickey Relligan's Pup, his recitation of the Yankee Privateer, Donald Monroe, and the Harper Buffett Waltz and Buffett Double. I just want to send out my condolences to the Wareham family, especially Leland. Uh, who is uh, who are grieving the loss of their dad. Right now, let's get to a tune from Baxter Wareham's album, Buffett Double, which was actually made available on Kelly Russell's Bandcamp, and that's how I really got access to this song. Right now, let's get to that ever-famous recitation from Buffett Double. This is the Yankee Privateer on the Musical Connections podcast. Well, it was in the year 1793. The Yankee privateers was raiding the coast of Newfoundland, robbing the Newfoundlanders of their codfish, which was their only means of livelihood. And as the saying used to go then, they used to use the Newfoundlanders' heads for cannonballs. Now, William Kelly, he'd been the principal man in our place at that time. He called a meeting in his fish store to see what could be done, because the population was on the hand of starving. Well, he made a thundered and fine speech, and he offered his owl hooker to any six men who'd take her and go up to St. John's and bring down a load of provisions. Up spakes one, I'll go. Yes, there's another, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. And I said, look at here now, boys, you just can't all go. So we picked out six of the strappingest young men there was there in Salmonier at that time, and me being youngest of them all, they selected me for skipper. And we fitted up William Kelly's owl hooker for that trip up to St. John's. Well, we arrived at St. John's and tied up at Bain Johnson's Wharf OK. And we then loaded pork, beef, molasses, and flour, and likewise, sir, a punch and a rum, which we placed on the quarter. Now, owing to the wind being ahead, we never put her out. But next day, the wind being fair, we let her go. And we had a thundered and fine time now along the shore till Darby Doolan, who was standing as lookout on the far deck, he said he spied a sail, which appeared to be a bark, about 100 tons or more. And as he bore down on us, we thought he wanted to speak to us. And as he was flying the custom house flag, we didn't think it any harm. But when he rounded up around our quarter, and down come the custom house flag from his main peak, and up went the stars and stripes to his main top, 
incarnation Moses. Never say, die till you're dead, boys, says I. Maybe they're like the devil, not half so bad as they're painted. Anyhow, we'll hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Hooker ahoy, says he. Hi, hi to yourself, says I. Where are you from, said he. St. Pierre, said I, with a load of salt, thinking I might outwit him. But he being up to all sorts of tricks, he knew with a pack of lies. Surrender, said he. To who, said I. To the Republic of the United States, said he. I'll be damned if I do, says I. Well, you'll be damned if you don't, says he. And jumping into his boat, he said, let ten of my men jump in here with me. And it wasn't long before there was a bayonet pointed at each of our breasts. Now will you surrender, says he. To your honor, I will, says I. And it wasn't long before we was bound hand and foot and placed in the cabin of that Yankee privateer. Well, they then hauled our old hooker up alongside. And they unloaded the pork, beef, molasses, and the flour. What's in the punchin', said he. Rum, said one of the crew. Fetch it along this way, says he. Hush, hush, said Mark the Derby Doolin'. He hung his two daddlers right over his head. And I said, hush, hush, now make me darling fella. Keep your hands behind your back, case someone come. And later on, you might get a chance to free us all. Hush, hush, said Derby Doolin'. I hear footsteps. And just then, sir, the captain's head appeared in the companionway. How you now, me landlubber, said he. Fine, sir, said I. You be no great spell that way, says he. That's so much as you knows about it, sir, says I. He said, we're going to scuttle your owl hooker now. Thank you kindly, sir, said I. And it wasn't long before we heard him chopping, chopping, chopping. And the gurgling sound told us our owl hooker was gone to the bottom. Why, we almost give up to despair. But peeping on deck about one hour later, we heard one hell of a ruckus up forward. And there he was, bailing the rum into him. Yes, me son, bailing into him. And I said, hold on now, boys, for about an hour or so. So rushing on deck about three quarters of an hour later, each man seized an iron blaying pin. And it wasn't long before we had them Yankees bound hand and foot. They'd been too full of liquor to show much fight. And we placed some in her cabin, some more in her forecastle. And to their surprise, we placed a man at each companionway with a loaded musket, which we found among the ship's stores. Now, we never had much trouble with them Yankees going down to shore, as they've been too securely bound. But owing to getting in the cam out there off of Petty Harbor, we never got in St. John's before the next day. And there we give our prize over to a British man of war. And the captain, been mighty pleased with us, he give us 450 pounds to be shared up among the crew, and fitted us up with a new hooker, and gave us new provisions, and started us all off for home again, because there they had us all give up for lost. And sure wasn't we nearly, when we was captured and bound hand and foot and placed in the cabin of that Yankee privateer. Bonus song for you there on the Musical Connections podcast, Baxter Wareham with the Yankee Privateer. And now let's get to this week's guest of the Musical Connections podcast. It is musician, multi-instrumentalist, and music teacher, Rowan Sherlock. We talk about everything from growing up in County Waterford, and uh, which would lead him to joining the band Newfoundland, and it would also uh, be a motivating factor to move to Newfoundland after having a tour, small tour here in 2017. Since he has made the move in 2017 to Newfoundland and Labrador, he has not looked back since. He, he makes his home now in Conception Bay South. He is a music teacher here, and he plays with groups such as Midnight Watch, Faraway Light, and Rugged Shores. We talk about that, plus his endeavor to improve the safety of downtown St. John's with the rise in crime as of late against Newfoundland and Labrador musicians. Right now, here's my conversation with Rowan Sherlock. All righty, welcome back to the Musical Connections podcast. I'm your host, Zach Snow, and joining me right now, you may be familiar with his face as he plays in bands like Far Away Light and Rugged Shores, and also plays with the Irish Descendants from time to time. He moved to Newfoundland and Labrador just about five and a half years ago from Waterford, Ireland. He played with the band Newfoundland for a time, and uh, he's been in Newfoundland for about five years. He's a music teacher, he is a violinist, he's a multi-instrumentalist, and uh, he's one of the most friendly people you'll ever meet. Joining me right now on the line is the one and the only Rowan Sherlock. Welcome to Musical Connection, sir. Thanks so much, Zach. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm super excited to have you on because we have a lot to get through and um, really get to know more about Rowan Sherlock uh, much, much more. Now, um, 
before we get before we really dive deep into your career and uh what you've been up to lately um just to start how are things in the world of Rowan Sherlock right now things things are pretty good yeah things are pretty good um so what I usually do is as an annual thing for myself is I take a little bit of a uh, a break in January like you know I continue teaching because that's my full time full time job but I kind of um Take, take the burners off a little bit with, with gigging and I just do my usual gigs that I've been pre-booked for and I, d- I don't take on a lot of extra extra gig work in January for the year um, just to kind of give myself a little bit of a break and have some have some rest and get some extra time with uh, with the family at home but it's been a, it's been pretty good everything's, everything's going well the gigs are coming in and getting booked up for the year and teaching's going well and the family's good so yeah i can't uh, i really can't complain that's wonderful man and um of course january is a pretty slow month uh for uh local musicians here because you're just coming off the high of christmas and uh christmas uh, yeah. this past year was probably the busiest since uh 2019 if i can recall yeah for sure it was a it was a pretty wild one it kind of it worked out really well with what with the days that it fell on and with Tibbs Eve being on, being on the Friday and then Christmas being on the Sunday, everything, everything kind of lined up pretty well. And you're right. January is generally a slow month because after that big, that big high of Christmas, and then you kind of got a couple of months and people are warming up and waiting for the, the, uh, the infamous Paddy's day and Paddy's week to come. So yeah, January is usually a bit quiet. It's generally a little bit more quiet actually than it is now because of the weather, but we really haven't had, haven't had the bad weather in January that we usually have. I mean, I'm looking at mm-hmm. the window here, and it's, it's eight degrees, and it looks looks quite nice out. And uh, believe it or not, the day that we're recording this is January the 17th, 2023. And um, it's actually yeah. a, the three-year anniversary of Snowmageddon, which is crazy to believe. Yeah. It is easily the worst winter yeah. storm I've ever seen in my lifetime. Yeah, that, that was crazy. It was, it was a lot of fun, too. I mean, I spent, I spent four, I think, four days we... Uh, we spent with our friends. We stayed in their house for four days, and we had a lot of fun for four days. So it was kind of an enjoyable time as well. Well, I pretty much played video games uh, for those past four days <laughs> because uh, there was not really Perfect. much to do. A fun story: um, yeah. during a, when I when I used to do interviews for Celtic Wake Up, I uh, booked Alan Doyle um, around the time frame, say around uh, I'm gonna say it was January the twentieth that it was uh, 2020, yeah. and. Um, Snowmageddon happened, and that was actually before Zoom and before uh, I had a console like this. Um, yeah, and it canceled last minute, and I was super upset about that uh, back then, and still am now. So hopefully, Alan Toyle he can join on the podcast uh, in the near future. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, let's actually get to uh, your life uh, growing up as a musician uh, because you're originally not from here. You grew up in County Waterford. So uh, what was life gro- yeah. growing up uh, in Ireland and uh, what drew you to music? Um, well, what drew me to music originally was probably uh, my parents' love for music. Um, they're not kind of really musicians themselves, but they're real lovers of music. I know my mom can, can play a bit of piano and she, she took violin lessons as a kid. And my dad's not a bad singer, actually, as well. I've heard him sing a few times. He's pretty pretty good at it. But they've always had a love for music and music culture. Um, and I took up playing the violin at the age of six. And then when I was eight years old, I took up the piano. Um, I was classically trained in, in both. And I picked up the guitar then when I was about 11 or 12. Um, and I went on throughout my my school years, just continuing playing music and, and doing music exams with uh, with the exam boards over there. And I completed all of those, and I started doing music theory lessons as well on the side because I had a, a real love for just the workings of music and, and kind of like the, the science behind it all and how it works and why it sounds the way it does, um, which then led me on to when I finished school, I went straight to university and I undertook my Bachelor of Arts in Music, um, which I did, a, I majored in music composition, and I minored in classical violin performance. And then I went straight on from that to do a two-year um, research master's into music composition, which I completed as well, and which was a lot of fun to do. Really enjoyed that course. Um, I had applied to continue on straight away afterwards with a PhD up in Maynooth, 
uh, university, which is just outside Dublin, um, to continue on doing a PhD in music composition. Um, but around that time is when I was applying to to move to Newfoundland with my uh, visa. So that kind of put the kibosh on that. Um, something I still might undertake at some stage in my life, but right now with a with a kid at home and being busy with gig and gigs and work and stuff, it's it's not really feasible right now. But maybe some stage in my life, I'll I'll, I'll undertake a PhD. <laughs> For sure. And yeah. um, so I believe that would be like your second or your third degree or something like that. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it'd be my third or third or fourth now. Yeah. Well, you have the same amount of degrees as my mother because she has the three degrees and I have just the one. <laughs> well, one is better than none. Exactly. Now, um, uh, yeah. who are some of the people that you looked up to uh, in music? Yeah, I had, I had a very eclectic kind of taste in music and people that I looked up to. Um, that's mainly due to my parents. I mean, we listened to a lot of a lot of classical music, but also we listened to a lot of Beatles and Simon Garfunkel. Oh, wow. And some older stuff. Yeah, and some older styles of things, and um, yeah, there was a lot of traditional Irish groups as well. You know, like Luke Kelly and the, and the, the Dubliners, and uh, a few groups like that, the Clancy's. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a pretty eclectic, eclectic taste of things, and as well as some jazz as well. My uh, myself, and my mom in particular were were quite into our jazz, like George Gershwin and some of the older style, the American jazz composers. Um, so kind of kind of drew a lot of influences from from everywhere, but I really I really am am a fan of everything and not a not a non fan as such of of any genres in particular. I mean, I played I played guitar with a with a death metal band for probably near on six years when I was in school, and you know, listening to hard rock and heavy metal is still something I do nowadays. But I can also flip over to you know listen to the jigs and reels on the radio and listen to some smooth jazz and stuff like that of a you kind of you kind of gotta gotta listen to it all and gotta take it all in and, and appreciate a lot of what it is. Um but yeah. That's wonderful. Now um I wanna get to uh, a part of your life where uh you uh played in a band called Newfoundland, the band. And uh yeah. it was an Irish uh, Celtic traditional band and uh you were part of it for a good couple of years uh before uh, you made the move here to Newfoundland in twenty seventeen. Um what what got you involved uh, with the band uh, Newfoundland? So the band was was in existence for a while before I joined them, um, and a couple of the guys in the in the band I've actually known since I was since I was a baby, pretty much. Um, one of the main guys in the band, his name is uh, Michael Grace. Um, so his father would be my godfather. Um, so I've wow. known them. Yeah, so I know him and his cousin, who was going to lead of the band, Evan Grace. I've known them since I was knee high to a grasshopper, um, and I've always been kind of close with them outside of that band. And then there was one day where they they reached out and said, "Hey, we're looking for a uh, a fiddle player. Um, would you fancy maybe coming in for a jam and and seeing what you think, and if you if you fancy joining up?" And I said, "Sure." And they met up with them one day, and we had a wonderful jam, and then. It's all history since then. So I joined up with them, and we uh, we started doing a bunch of gigs all over Ireland, and eventually moving moving to other countries with with the shows we did as well. We went to Norway uh, a couple of times, and uh, they did gigs in England and Wales and places like that. And then we eventually figured, you know what, if the band is called Newfoundland, we should probably do a couple of shows in Newfoundland. Um, so we did that. We planned a tour. In Newfoundland in 2017, which we did, we did, came over for 10 days. We did 12 shows in 10 days. And um, I fell in love with, with the province. And it was just, it was the first day I was here, I was looking around in the city of St. John's. I was like, yeah, this this looks like a kind of place where I could I could settle down. I, I like the people. I like the I liked the city. And um, eventually made that decision. We, we, we came back again. We went back to Ireland afterwards and... I looked into it and I looked into the process for applying for a, a visa for moving to Canada and it uh, actually worked out relatively easy and quickly for myself to do that. Um, so I applied for the visa and got approved for it much faster than I expected. Literally six days after I applied for it, I was, uh, I was granted the work visa. Wow. Um, which is a bit of a whirlwind because at the time I was actually, I had four different jobs at the time I was working in 
three schools as a music teacher and I was working doing a part-time stint in a grocery store as well so it was a strange day when I had to hand in my uh, my work notice to four different employers in one day and oh my tell God. them I was leaving the country. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a strange, a strange time in my life. But yeah, so I handed in my notice to all my, all my employers and then about, probably about two or three weeks after that, I, um, I made the move and I came on over to Newfoundland. Yeah, that's wonderful. And uh, 2017, uh, that was your first time here in Newfoundland and uh, ever since then, yeah. you haven't looked back and you've lived here for almost six years, which is... Pretty insane to think, and uh, we've really enjoyed your company here, Rowan, and uh, I really enjoy, uh, you know, being around you because uh, you bring such a positive energy to our province, and uh, you're really one of the most talented fiddle players that we have here. Well, I really appreciate that. That's really nice of you to say, Zach. And you know what? I've, I really have loved my time here, and uh, it looks like I'm here for good. I mean, I've been here nearly six years now. I bought a house. I'm living in a beautiful, beautiful town of CBS. We, we uh, purchased the house here a couple of years ago, and uh, ever since we got married during COVID, myself and my lovely wife, Michelle, and uh, we had a beautiful baby girl just over two years ago. She was born on Christmas Day in 2020. Wow. Um, so, yeah, everything is everything's going peachy, and it looks like it looks like you're stuck with me for now, Zach. <laughs> well, listen, <laughs> I do not want you to leave, my friend. Uh, you're too valuable uh, to lose. <laughs> That's nice. Now, um, uh, of course, uh, when you uh, moved to Newfoundland, you did leave the band Newfoundland. Um, was there any other motivations yeah. to leave the band Newfoundland, or was it just um, you wanted to move to the province and you really couldn't be touring with them no more? It was mainly it was mainly that that was that was behind the uh, the reason for leaving. Now there there were a couple of kind of underlying some smaller issues kind of ongoing with the band, um, but nothing. It was just some differing opinions with a couple of the members in the band that we couldn't really seem to agree on with like the artistic direction of the band and some decision-making kind of processes and stuff. Um, but the main crux that for me was, well, I was, I was moving, moving country because I know the band continued playing for another while, um, probably nearly close to another year after I, after I moved and they did actually, um, they, they did come back again. And when they came back, I I joined them for another uh, another tour, um, and then a while after that, they came back once more, just as a as a two piece. Uh, Mick Grace, who I mentioned earlier, and the drummer Paul O'Shea, the two of those guys came over and joined me, and we did a, a string of shows as just like a trio, not under the the, the name of Newfoundland, but just under under a, a different a trio name had a bit of fun so hopefully hopefully I can line that up again sometime in the future that was a, was a good fun yeah uh, do you still talk to some of the members uh, ever since you left yeah I do actually I, I keep in pretty close contact with both both Mick and Paul and as well as the, the female lead singer Kalina who happened to be over here she was over here probably uh, five or six months ago with her group the Kalimbas um, so I, I do keep in, in contact with her as well that's awesome. Now, um, of course, uh, when you uh, when you were touring here for the first time uh, as Newfoundland, the band in 2017, that was a really big driver for you to move here to Newfoundland and Labrador. But uh, what uh, what yeah. else inspired you to to move here to Newfoundland and Labrador? Is there any other uh, underlying factors that caused you to make the move? There, there was there was a, a romantic reason too as well. I had I had met a girl uh, from from Newfoundland. She's originally from from Marystown, but. She was living in St. John's. Um, so there was the romantic aspect of it for me as well. Um, unfortunately, slash, well, so I can't really say unfortunately because my, my life has, has done okay since. Unfortunately, that, that relationship didn't didn't work out to the full extent. Um, and we, we parted ways. Um, but I, I remained here in Newfoundland and I was lucky enough to meet my, uh, my now wonderful wife, Michelle. And... Uh, Life has a way of just working its way out, I suppose. Awesome, man. Now, um, one person that has had a big impact on your life since you've been here in Newfoundland Labrador has been Evan O'Coin. Now, you and him have played in uh, Faraway Light and Rugged Shores. Yeah. Um, how did you meet yeah. Evan O'Coin, and what has his impact been on you? So, 
Evan is probably one of the first people from Newfoundland that I met because he was part of a group called, well, a duo called Port of Call. Um, and when we came over in 2017 with Newfoundland the band, Evan and uh, his duo partner at the time then, they actually came with us on on probably 75% of the tour and were our support act for the tour. And traveling together and you know staying in accommodation together and gigging together and stuff, we became quite close. And even when I when I moved back to Ireland after the tour, we we stayed in contact again. And then when I moved over, it was kind of a no brainer. Well, you know, I've already got a friend over there, so let's get back in contact. And we did, and we started playing together and writing some music together. Um, and yeah, so he's been he's been one of my one of my best Newfoundland friends for. Which is funny because it's actually since before I even moved here, um, and Evans Evans a wonderful person as well, wonderful guitarist and singer. Um, we've done a bunch of recordings and projects together, and we're lucky enough to be tied up together now in the band Rugged Shores. And uh, that's actually where I was going to be going to next. Uh, how did you get involved with Rugged Shores? Uh, was Evan a big part of that? Yeah, so Rugged Shorts had actually been on the go for a couple of years before even Evan joined, and he was asked to join as a vocalist and bazooki player, and they were doing a gig at, I believe it was Shamrock City on the Ghouls on St. Patrick's Day a few years ago, and Evan reached out and he said, look, hey, I know you're not, you're not, I wasn't super busy at the time, he said, if you fancy hopping up on stage with us, just for a bit of a jam, it might be, uh, might be a bit of fun. So I did, I took the fiddle down and uh, we had a grand time on stage and ever since then they said, hey, that was a lot of fun. Would you like to stick with us and we'll get some gigs together? And I said, sure. And uh, yeah, so ever since that, we've, I've, uh, myself and Evan have been a, a staple part of the band. A couple of members of the band have kind of swapped out. We've got a, uh, there was never really a drummer in the band, but we do have a drummer now, uh, Brian Effort. And our bass player at the time, Kev Harnham, has since retired. And we had the wonderful Jeff Kinsman step in in his in his place, and we've done some great things. And uh, we've been lucky enough to be nominated for three Music and L awards over the past two years. And we launched our our debut album at around May Two Four weekend last year as well. And that's uh, that's been doing pretty well. It's been flying off the shelves down at Fred's Records. And uh, you should definitely go uh, purchase uh, their albums too, because uh, right now in this day and age of a streaming world, and we're just coming off the emergency phase of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, buying yeah. hard copies of albums and also buying merchandise from musicians makes a lot more yeah. money than what a stream on Spotify would, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we could get thousands of streams on, on Spotify and, and streaming streaming services, but that it, it doesn't pay us at all. You know, you might come away with maybe a couple of dollars at most, whereas if you buy one CD, you know, the, the band is getting probably 13 or 14 of those dollars that you, you've paid for and not to mention merchandise, you know, t-shirts and stuff like that. Um, you know, 80% of that profit goes to the band and pays and pays us some sort of a wage and kind of pays us back as well for a lot of the money that we put into the project, whether it's even as simple as the gas money it takes to go to drive to band practice or actually paying the producers and the uh, recording engineers to to make the album, which can, you know, can set you back literal thousands of dollars. Um, so it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange kind of business where you're investing so much money of your personal money and then you kind of make it back in trips and traps. But once you've got a real love for the music, it's, it's always worth it. Absolutely, man. Now, um, another group that you and Evan are involved with was uh midnight watch. And I have played uh, some of your tunes, uh, from the upcoming yeah. Midnight Watch project set to come out this year um, on the Musical Connections podcast uh, as part of newfound releases. Um, so how did you guys uh, decide to start a all-country band? How did that come together? Um, so that was through um, a couple of guys that we I've done some recordings for and Evan's done some recordings for, uh, namely Kieran Dooley and, and Liam Peacock, a couple of wonderful musicians. Uh, Kieran is a great guitarist and uh, steel, lap steel guitarist as well as um, Liam is a wonderful bass player and vocalist um, and we kind of just started up this jam band where we'd, we'd get together on Sunday afternoons and just, just play some music whether it was originals or covers and just, just for something to do just for a bit of fun and 
we're kind of listening to it a couple of times because we recorded some of the jam sessions. We're like, you know what? This actually sounds half decent. And I think we could, we could probably make a go at something with this as another project. So that kind of started off the Midnight Watch project. And um, we had a drummer join as well, uh, Lucas Sparrow. Um, and we've done some recordings with, with Kieran, the guitarist, in in his house. And he's a wonderful recording engineer. He does all the, the recording and the engineering and the, the editing and the mastering himself and does a great job. And we uh, we kind of launched the band at a, at a gig at the, uh, the Ship Pub couple of months ago we had a, a wonderful turnout for that um it's kind of a project that's it's a little bit out on the outside for me it's not something that i'm going to be heavily involved in um just because i don't really have the time to be able to commit to it right now um but i will be providing the fiddle recordings and the if they need some you know extra things done instrumentation wise i'll be helping out from that um but for now it's, it's mainly a project for the other guys for evan and Kieran and Liam and uh, and Lucas, um, but it really is. I got to say, quality wise, they've they've got some great songs out there, and it's kind of a crossover between like rock and country, and just good good fun stuff, good driving songs. And it's a uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Absolutely, and uh, once you do get more music, we will definitely feature them here on the podcast on the new fan releases segment of the podcast, and uh, great music all in all. Awesome, appreciate that. Now, um, of course, uh, you mentioned that uh, you were involved with Rugged Shores, Midnight Watch is uh, the new group you're involved with, and of course, uh, you and Evan have a duo called Faraway Light. Um, but um, one of the groups that uh, I was shocked to find out you were a part of uh, about last year or so was the Irish Descendants. Now, I have spoke with Patrick Moran about this because uh, Patrick was uh, gave up playing downtown with the Irish Descendants, but still does, you know, the big gigs. Like, uh, for example, yeah. they were at the uh, Celtic Christmas show, which I was at about a month or so ago. But um, he's yeah. he's not played downtown uh, for the past two years or so, and you've taken on fiddle yeah. roles for the Irish Descendants. How did you get involved with that group? Yeah, so that, that's essentially it. Um, Patrick decided to step down from, from doing the kind of the downtown, the George Street gigs, and just give himself a bit of a break. He's You know, he's done this for the past. 20, 30 years, and he, he thought high time just to just to step back a little bit and, and have some more home time. Um, uh, so I got uh, Mr. Connor Bryan reached out to me and, and asked, hey, do you, do you ever fancy hopping up on stage with us every now and then and, and doing some of the fiddle stuff for us when we do the downtown gigs? And I said, sure. So it becomes kind of a regular, a regular weekly event for us. Um, so I was doing the fiddle work. And then that kind of spread for, for some time where if, because uh, Patrick Moran also played fiddle with the wonderful Shannon Ganook. So if there was some sort of a cross booking where he was booked to do something else or something he just wasn't available for with the Irish Descendants when it came to festival or festival gigs or some touring gigs, um, they reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to step in and do those too, which I, I obviously said yes, absolutely. And uh, we did a wonderful tour in Ottawa there a few a few months ago and we we played some wonderful sold out shows there. Um so I'm hoping to uh, pick up on some more of that this year because the Tan and and Justin and Co are just the most wonderful not just musicians but just people to work with and to to travel with as well. So um hoping to keep that going because that's a it's a great group to be a part of with a wonderful name and a wonderful history and it's a, it's nice to be part of something like that. Now, um, uh, just about a couple of years ago, you uh, became a permanent resident of Canada. Um, let me yeah. know. Tell me about what when that happened and what the feeling was like to become a permanent resident here in Canada. Yeah, so there's a process I, I started. Once I'd been here for two years, basically, you can, you can start the process of applying to become a permanent resident, which is um, extremely complicated and, and quite costly as well when it comes down to it. Um, um, but it's kind of if if you want to stay here, it's it's something you you have to do. Um, I was luck, lucky to have been actually nominated by the province to become a permanent resident. Um, when that happens, you're pretty much guaranteed that you're going to be a permanent resident because sometimes it's a bit of a uh, it's a bit of a lottery when you apply for permanent residency because there's a lot of factors that um, makes the immigration. Um, side of the government decide whether you can be a permanent resident in the country or not. Um, but as the province actually nominated me to become a permanent resident, I was guaranteed a spot, basically. 
Wow. Um, it was a long process. Yeah, it was, it was It was. pretty cool. And it was, it was a very long process. But I had a, uh, a wonderful immigration lawyer that I, I worked with. Um, her name was Loretta Pickett. And she's just been an absolute star and fought in my corner every step of the way and was just wonderful. And actually, I, I've recently started the process of applying for my Canadian citizenship now. Which is the uh, which is the next step? So I've applied for that a few months ago. Um, that can take that can take a long time. We'll take probably up to eighteen months before that actually um, kicks in. But it's you know it's it's that's an option for people. You don't have to become a citizen if you don't want. Once you become a permanent resident, you can just remain a permanent resident kind of forever. But there are some benefits of the uh, of getting Canadian citizenship, um, such as you know you you have the right to vote if you have your citizenship, which is something I'm definitely interested in. Um, and I can also apply for dual citizenship as well for my for my little girl as well, which is pretty cool. That's wonderful. Now, I want to take a different uh, direction here because uh, you did mention that uh, before you moved here to Newfoundland uh, and uh, throughout most of your life, really, you've been a teacher of music. So uh, what gives you yeah. enjoyment and fulfillment about being a, a music teacher? Because uh, I believe you teach music at a music collection right now, I'm thinking yeah. of. So uh, yeah. what gives you that fulfillment and enjoyment about being a teacher? I love it. I really do. It's something I've loved. Even even when I was in college, I used to do um, I used to do some part-time teaching on the side. And then I, I picked up a couple of jobs working at schools teaching music. It's probably one of the most enjoyable jobs you can you can imagine doing. Um, if you have patience, patience, patience is key. Um, I love it. If you if you see a student kind of blossoming with their music and with a real interest in learning more about not only their instrument but the theory behind music and listening to music and listening to bands and just having a general love for it, it's um, it's a wonderful thing. It's you know it's not all. Uh, rosy like that all the time you know sometimes it's a bit stressful and you're you're dealing with so many students a week and everybody's got a different a different personality and a different mentality and you know some people have some learning difficulties and there's some challenges to, to go through but once you've got the patience and you've got the willingness and the drive to to help people um it really is a, a wonderful career path to take um i, I love it i mean when you see a student come in from one week to another, having learned something and they've improved in some way, it's, it's extremely fulfilling for, for me as a teacher. That's awesome, Rowan. Now, um, one of the main reasons I've been trying to get you on the podcast for the past couple of weeks, um, you've been explaining your stories about, um, you know, the rise of crime in downtown St. John's and have you've uh, expressed yeah. this on countless uh, news platforms like CBC, like NTV, like VOCM, that uh, there's been yeah. a rise in robberies for musicians. I mean, you've spoke about yeah. it, Craig Follett, who plays with the Once and uh, the Crate Diggers downtown, and then um, yeah. I, I believe it's the Crate Diggers downtown, Greg Walsh, Ashley Malloy, yeah. and um, of course the COVID nineteen pandemic also brought a rise in uh, you know uh, the increase in uh, drug use and mental health crisis. Um, yeah. It's just crazy to see how much it has risen over the past like year or so. But uh, I want to let yeah. I want to go from your point of view first. Um, why did you decide to go for a crusade about improving downtown safety uh, in uh, in St. John's? And uh, what's your main motivation behind it? Um, a couple of things kind of started us all off. Uh, there was a couple of incidents that happened downtown um, to local musicians. One of them being with Mr. Greg Walsh, the fiddle player for Massless Men, who had an unfortunate incident where he had his he was accosted by a couple of gentlemen downtown and had his fiddle stolen. Um, there was a couple of other incidents that popped up that I kind of heard about through the grapevine from a few people. And I was kind of thinking to myself, this is, it's kind of scary and startling stuff and information. And I was kind of thinking to myself, well, it's a bit sad that nobody knows that this is happening because this is happening and it's becoming more and more frequent. But there doesn't seem to be anything being done about it and nobody's talking about it. So I figured, well, I've got some good, you know, connections here in the in the music industry and the music business as well as the venue business downtown. And I figured, well, if I start speaking about this, maybe this will spark some sort of a conversation and will eventually lead to uh, a positive change being made. Um, so that's what I've started doing. And you're you're absolutely right. It is really mainly since you know it's something that's happened historically for you know for years and years and years in in every kind of 
main city in every country across oh, the world. There's, there's always crime, right? Um, but you are right in saying that since COVID, there has been a huge uprise in, um, you know, the decline of the state of mental health of a lot of people in St. John's and surrounding areas, as, and which then also results in an increase in drug use, which then has another knock-on effect when it comes to an increase in crime. Um, so there's a lot of aspects to this which I'm trying to tackle, and I'm trying to speak to as many stakeholders and businesses and organizations and committees as I can with just the one main um, target and reason behind it is to improve the safety for not only the musicians, but also the venue workers and the public. I mean, I have friends and family who sometimes are afraid to come to, to some of the shows, particularly the late night shows, because they're nervous about some of the characters that are on you know, the streets downtown. Um, and I can, I can totally understand that because, you know, even as musicians, you're carrying all your gear downtown. It, it can be nerve wracking at times when you, you know, you have people following you and you, mm-hmm. there's incidents like that that happen. So with, with this, as you, as you so eloquently said, this crusade, um, I'm tr- really trying not to point any fingers of blame with this. Um, some people think that I am, and I'm, I'm really not. Um, I'm trying to work closely with, with the city of St. John's as well as the George Street Association with Music NL with the venue owners and also with the RNC to see what we can do to improve the situation and and just make it a safer work environment because essentially once once a musician or a venue worker parks their car somewhere downtown from that time until they get to their work that is considered their workplace the yes. whole walk is their is their work environment and we feel like it should be safe, just as much as it's for an office worker who parks in their parking lot and then goes to their office building. They're not getting accosted by people. They're not getting followed or they're not nervous. And that's because that's taken care of by their workplace. And we'd like for the same kind of situation to be put in place for us. Um, so I've had some, some wonderful meetings with some people. I had a, a, a sit-down meeting recently with um, Minister Abbott at the Confederation Building, myself and Rhonda Talk Lane from Music Canal had a meeting with him. Uh, we're hoping to have a meeting soon with the Minister of Justice as well. Um, I've been in frequent communication with the, uh, the RNC Superintendent, Sharon Warren, as well as the George Street Association uh, PR person, Donnie Cody, and some venue owners as well. Um, and as well as some news outlets and media outlets, much like yourself, and just trying to get this kind of fixed. And, and the main thing is for hopefully for this um this discussion to not just fizzle out and people and for people just to forget about it, which which is an unfortunate and kind of inevitable thing that can happen with topics like this. But mm-hmm. I'll uh, I'll do my best to try and try not to let it die out. Yeah, and you're doing a really wonderful job at that. But if there's one thing I can take away from this whole um uh issue about downtown safety, uh, one point that I did forget to bring up is of course uh inflation and the cost of living is increasing too. And uh, it means like, you know, lower income families and lower income uh, people can't afford to have a home. So that means you're seeing like many people um, like living out on the street. I mean, uh, I think I seen a photo uh, about a couple of days ago where uh, someone was using a bus, uh, like a bus stop uh, area to use as a bed. Um, It's pretty crazy to believe how much has happened over the past, like 12 months and it's still going. But also one of the main things that we should acknowledge here that yes uh we're all trying to fix a, an issue that has been you know lingering for years but uh as we've all uh we should all be realizing right now this is not an easy fix no no it's that you're absolutely right it's not easy at all and there's many moving parts to it um so that's why we need so many people to be on board with it to try and fix it whether it's the ministers at the confederation building or the george Street association or eastern health um or the, the homeless shelters who work with City St. John's, the RNC, there's a lot of moving parts. It's not a quick, simple fix. It's something that's going to take time, um, but it still needs, the sooner we start, the sooner that we can start to fix it. Now, of course, um, uh, collaboration with the uh, with the City of St. John's, um, Destination St. John's, the George Street Association, the RNC, Music and and the provincial government have formed the uh, downtown safety coalition and the first meeting of yeah. that was january the 9th and uh hearing some reports it didn't really go as well as anticipated um 
What were your thoughts about the meeting and uh, what do you think could be done more from the downtown safety coalition to, you know, help improve the downtown safety uh, issue, uh, not just in the short term, but in the long term as well? Yeah, that um, that first meeting popped up and it was, it was okay. I, I, I attended the meeting on Zoom. I watched the whole thing on Zoom and maybe it was just some cross communication with what we expected to, to come from the meeting and what was provided from the meeting. Uh, what a lot of people were hoping for and thought it was going to be was some sort of an open discussion with the RNC and we could discuss kind of the issues and look at some solutions. But it was it was more so of a presentation that was provided by the RNC um, in relation to reporting crime and basically, you know, if you see something happening, report it kind of a thing. And a lot of it was, was common sense stuff. It was, it was kind of presented a little bit weakly um, to us and there wasn't room for asking questions and there wasn't really much room for open communication with questions a lot of stakeholders and, and musicians and workers had um, there were some statistics that were provided to us by the RNC from 2019 up to 2021 in relation to crime and hotspots and where the crime has been happening and how some of the crime is moving out of the city to other areas which kind of deploys the RNC to to areas outside of the downtown core where we're discussing, um, which was all well and good. But the the issue we've been having is had been the upsurge of crime that's been happening, in particular in 2022, and those statistics weren't presented to us as they weren't ready yet, which is which is fair. Um, but providing old statistics wasn't really much use to us when. The situation wasn't as bad then as it is now, and we we need to see the the current stats to really get a better picture of what's happening. Um, so apparently, there's, there's going to be further meetings with different topics happening in the future, much like that one that happened with the Safety Coalition. And each meeting is going to have a different topic. So this one that happened was mainly aimed at venue owners and reporting of crimes that happened. Um, to them or in their venues. So hopefully there's going to be one more in relation to personal safety for, for musicians and venue workers. Um, I haven't heard anything about that yet, but it's something, once I know more about it, I will, I'll publicize and I'll, I'll, I'll let you know as well. Absolutely. And uh, we will definitely do another podcast about downtown safety and have you included in it because uh, this is a very important topic that has been lingering for years and has really been made public uh, and really, you know, be put at the forefront over the past uh, eight weeks or so. And hopefully this conversation continues because uh, we do not want this continuing into 2023. And I imagine you don't either. No, absolutely not, especially with, with downtown, kind of the entertainment district where it is. It's it's the pride. It's one of the prides of Newfoundland, and something that we we advertise for tourists. You know, tens of thousands of tourists come here each year, and it's such a such an important place culturally and also economically for the province as well. And it'd be it'd be wonderful if we presented in the best possible light as we can, and, and make it safe for for the workers and also for the public and the tourists too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the big helps of. Uh... Your crusade over the past uh, eight weeks or so has been at Music and L, and they are part of the Downtown Safety Coalition too. And a big part of yeah. that is uh, due to the you know tireless work and uh, passion and dedication of Rhonda Talk Lane. And I can speak openly to this because uh, she's been one of the most important people in my life and uh, many other people's lives over the past two years uh, that she's been in charge of Music yeah. and L. Um, one of the things that came out of your um, town hall with Rhonda. And, um, of course, uh, with the 13 or 15 other attendees that were there that day at Gower Street United Church, um, was the unsafe, uh, was the, uh, I'm trying to get the name of this right, it's the unsafe uh, incident report, I believe it's called, or, uh, yeah. well, correct me on that, actually, but uh, there was a form that allowed you to report uh, unsafe uh, situations uh, to the RNC. Uh, um, How big of a help has Rhonda been uh, in this uh, endeavor? Rhonda has been absolutely wonderful since day one on this and, and reached out to me um, when she first heard of this happening and has accommodated that meeting that you mentioned that we had downtown in, in December and we're hoping to have another one at the end of January before before February. Um, and she has helped me with organizing meetings with the some ministers at the Confederation Building. She has helped with advertising 
some um, safety procedural kind of courses and things, and she's running some uh, personal uh, self-defense courses through Music NL. She's helping with um, some mental health um, type aspect courses as well and has been pretty much a, a daily um, kind of a fighter on this with me and with her connections as well throughout the, not only the music community, but also with some political advisories as well as connections with other other stakeholders too. She really has been has been wonderful. Um, so that kind of safety, safety incident report thing that you mentioned is something that we had an idea of during that meeting, which is, if you see something happening, obviously the, the priority thing is to report it to the RNC. But there's another thing you can do where you can pop onto the Music NL website and on the front page, there's a report incident link. And you click that and you can type in a little report. It can be as small or as big as you want in, re- in relation to the actual incident itself. And you can type in, you know, okay, I, uh, I witnessed this uh, mm. at this place at this time. And then what Music NL will do on a regular basis, they will send that report to the RNC as well. So they can kind of get a bigger picture all in kind of one lump and say, okay, well, all of this has happened in the past month. We can kind of see, you know, that's the statistic thing that we can use and will eventually result in a an increase in the policing of the downtown entertainment um, district. Yeah, absolutely. And I did just uh, went on to Music and L website, and it is the unsafe incident report. I don't know why that word was not yeah. coming to me, but um, <laughs> that is really uh, uh, that's really amazing that you uh, that Music yeah. and L and you have got this uh, form up on the Music and L website to report to the RNC and be kind of like that liaison between uh, the, yeah. the performers and the RNC to make yeah. sure that these incidents are addressed in a timely manner. Yeah. But um, of course, uh, what do you expect uh, from the Downtown Safety Coalition over the next, uh, let's let's just say a few weeks, because uh, like, I'm not going to say months yet, because uh, who knows, we could be talking about this uh, in a few weeks' time, and then um, say when we get to June or July, it's all forgotten about. So what do you expect from them yeah. over the next uh, few weeks? Um. There are some some easy solutions that need to that need to happen, and there are some questions that we have for the city of St. John's as well as the RNC that we're hoping for answers on soon. Um, the number one thing is we do need to have an increase in a police presence downtown, and in an improvement in the reporting um, aspect for the RNC as well, because we do have a slight issue when it comes to reporting a crime and then the delay between the time you report and the time that it's actually dealt with. So we want to see that increased. Um, we just want a, a whole, a general kind of an uptick in the feeling of being safe downtown. Um, and we, we need to hear some kind of some promises from, from different committees and stakeholders with how that's going to improve and, and what's going to happen with it. Um, until that happens, we're kind of going to be stuck in limbo um but we do have some have some good movement happening and the open discussions with with the likes of the superintendent from the rnc um but we'll see we'll see what happens it's something i'll i'll keep i'm going to keep ticking away at for the next while until uh until some real improvements are seen that's wonderful and uh, again i'm so proud of you for taking this on rowan because it does need to be addressed because it has been going on for too long but it's also you know been um you know magnified by like 10 or a hundred because of you know what's been happening yeah. uh over the past two months or so uh with the uh, amount of yeah. robberies that have been happening the amount of uh you know um incidents that have been happening uh yeah. on george street but hopefully there is a short-term solution and then uh in the future a long-term solution yeah absolutely i agree now um uh to wrap up here because uh this has been a really good conversation rowan and thank you again for joining me on the podcast um what's next for you Next for me is I got some uh, I got a lot of gigs coming up this year. I got a, a bunch of things I'm working on. Um, I've got some solo gigs coming up, which is something I don't usually do, um, but something I am I am looking forward to. Um, yeah, we've got some some fun stuff with Rugged Shores, which is my main band coming up. We're going to be working on some new singles, which we're going to release. Um, as well as some festivals that we're hopefully taking part in in this year. 
Um, we've got, what else we have? We've got the Frosty Festival coming up, which we're a part of. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of fun music things coming up, um, as well as hopefully some uh, some shows that I've been I've been taking part in with the uh, the Irish Descendants. Um, so I'm going to be doing some of that as well. Um, yeah, so much of the same for me, and the well, it's good because the same is good. So some teaching and some gigging and some festivals. Well, Rowan, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Musical Connections podcast, and um, it's been great to go over your career so far and what's to come over the next uh, couple of months or so, and especially uh, now, the day that we're recording this, St. Patrick's Day is about two months away, which is pretty insane, and it's usually a busy time for many of uh, the traditional bands here in Newfoundland and Labrador, and um, hopefully uh, this uh, crusade uh, doesn't uh, end, and uh, hopefully there's more that comes out of this Downtown Safety Coalition because I really do hope to see uh, a more, you know, safe and inclusive downtown uh, environment uh, uh, as we head into 2023. So, uh, Rowan yeah. Sherlock, thank you so much for joining me on Musical Connections. It's been a pleasure to chat with you again. You have a wonderful day, and um, best of luck with whatever's to come over the next couple of months. Thank you so much, Zach. Thanks for having me on, and thoroughly enjoyed this, and have a wonderful day. There you go. That was my conversation with Rowan Sherlock. And a great tune there coming up right now from Midnight Watch from their upcoming new album set to come out later this year. Here they are with Evergreen on the Musical Connections podcast. This chill.
Well, that is going to do it for episode nine of the Musical Connections podcast. I want to thank you all for tuning in this week. Big thank you to Rowan Sherlock for joining me as my guest for this edition of the podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to Apple and Spotify. And uh, make sure you type in Musical Connections in the search engine. Like and subscribe to it. And make sure you leave a comment there because it'll help out the show a lot. Thank you so much for connecting with me for another week. I've been your host, Zach Snow. Stay safe and please be kind to one another. And until next time, safe home. Oh,